and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the intriguingly young, secretly hip, and surreptitiously lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Hello. Olga. Hello. How are we all feeling today? Oh, I'm great. Pretty Thanks good. Yeah, life's good. Yeah, yeah, a lot of coffee today, Pretty so I'm really wired right now. Psyched to be in the studio. Wearing green pants. Wearing olive pants. You corrected me earlier. <laughs> uh, they are not green. Just a slight olive. Okay. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> okay, fashionista. <laughs> uh, what are we drinking this week, Zach? Yeah, still Lent. Uh, <laughs> still Lent, so we are committing to our fast from alcohol. Easter Sunday shall come. Yes. And Jesus will rise, and so will our glasses. <laughs> but until then, we got nothing. Olga's right. got some water. Yeah, I do. And who are we ta- you guys don't have anything today. So. I know. Who are we talking to? This week, we're really excited to be talking to two boys from Regis High School, which is a Jesuit high school in New York City. They are Matias Benitez and Matt Chen, and they are the founders of He for She, a feminist club at their school. Yeah, so last month, there was an article published in New York Magazine um, about Matias and Matt and this club that they formed at Regis, and we were just so intrigued that we had to bring them on. They are the youngest Jesuitical guests yes, they ever. Are. They have that distinction, unless yeah, they we are count juniors in, in high school. Yeah, we've had a few babies sit in on the interviews, but these guys are on mic and spitting some truth. Yeah, it's super inspiring to see such young people like so committed to feminism and caring about like the women women's place in this country and the world. Yeah, I I love my high school guy friends. I cannot imagine them starting a feminist club. Same, same. And as a former high school boy, I also I was also thinking about all the ways that I did not live up to the standard yes, that they were setting. Maybe could have benefited from one earlier on in yeah, life. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so it is a great interview. Stick around for that. But first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? So our first story uh, comes from Ireland, where in the wake of the massacre at the two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, on March 15th, um, an Irish bishop, Kevin Doran, criticized, uh, quote, faith-filled Catholics who demonize Muslims saying that there are a lot of Muslim children in Irish schools and that they contribute to the ethos of the country in a lot of very positive ways and really criticize Catholics that who you know, either publicly or privately were working to reject their integration into society. Yeah, and it was really good to hear a bishop speak out in this way um, in the aftermath of this tragedy um, and even said that Catholics could could learn from their um Muslim brothers and sisters, he said that, quote, they tend to have a level of commitment to the faith that in many ways we might well sit up and pay attention to. What's our next story, Olga? So our Vatican correspondent, Jerry O'Connell, has just published an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at the election of Pope Francis. Yeah, so this is a look at the conclave, where there, which is typically very super secret, so normally we don't know anything about what happens there. Right. So America Magazine just published an excerpt from Jerry's upcoming book. It's called The Election of Pope Francis, an inside account of the conclave that changed history. Um, and in this excerpt, he he gets down into the nitty-gritty details of who got votes in every single round of, of the conclave. Um, and there were some surprising results. Yeah, so one of the surprises for the first time ever, uh, several of the vote-getters were from outside of Europe. So obviously, uh, Pope Francis, formerly known as Jorge Bergoglio, um, was the top getter, and he's All from right, he, Argentina. In the first round, he was the second. Oh yeah, yeah. So highest. he got second place first, um, 
there's someone ahead of him, um, Cardinal Scola from Italy. Yes. Um, But in addition to Bergoglio, there was uh, Cardinal Mark Willette from Canada and American Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston. I did not get any votes in any rounds. (laughs) And experts say that these tallies are kind of significant because they show a strong desire for an outsider to clean up years of what has been mismanagement at the Vatican. Yeah, this conclave happened because Pope Benedict had just resigned from being pope because of the level of mismanagement, corruption um, in the Roman Curia. And they, they clearly, the cardinals recognized that maybe it was time to switch things up and bring in someone from the global south. Yes. One question I had should we care about this? Meaning, right, this is supposed to be a secret. I actually think it's really interesting. I know it's very, like, insidery and kind of, like, seems like palace intrigue. Um, but what I think about is that, so here it is, like, kind of like an, ele- an actual election with people voting and, like, forming alliances and changing their votes. Um, and, it you know, it feels kind of, like, political. But at the same time, we are supposed to believe that the Holy Spirit is guiding this process to select the, per- the person in charge of the church. Um, so reconciling those two facts, I just think is interesting that like the Holy Spirit does in fact work through through cardinals kind of like doing political machinations. Olga, what did you think? To be honest, I mean, hearing Ashley talk about it now, I, I mean, it sounds much more fascinating. But when this I first started hearing about this, I was like, this is so boring um, because I keep thinking, okay, this feels like something I should care about, but because I'm so not plugged into this like inside Vatican stuff, um, I thought, how does this affect me on a day to day? Like the issues that I'm concerned with as a Catholic, like I could care less how many votes a specific bishop got or didn't get, you know? I hear what you mean, especially I think sometimes that my spiritual life was a lot better before I knew the names of a bunch of different cardinals and bishops, right? Especially after the summer. I don't mm-hmm. know. But I think that Ashley has a point in the sense that, you know, this is, we, we do believe that this is God working uh, in our church and that we should be praying for the Holy Spirit to guide the church in this way. Now, whether a retroactive look back is anything more than just kind of like Vatican voyeurism, I don't know. But if you're into Vatican voyeurism, you can learn more about it on our sister podcast, Inside the Vatican, uh, where Colleen Dully will be speaking with Jerry O'Connell this week about his upcoming book. What's our next story, Ashley? The founder of the Vatican's Women magazine, alongside with the all-female editorial board of the publication, have quit because of what they describe as a campaign by the Vatican to discredit their work. Yeah, so Women Church World is an independent magazine that's published under the auspices of the Vatican newspaper, La Salvatore Romano, um, which is the official Vatican newspaper. So this is a monthly that gets sort of slid into the daily newspaper. Yes, and the founder, Lucetta Scarafia, and the editors announced this in an editorial that's set to be published on April 1st, and they're going to give to Pope Francis. They cite, quote, a climate of distrust and progressive delegitimization of their work inside the Vatican's communications office. Yeah, and this is a big deal, I think, because this this magazine has done really important work. We, we talked about it uh, last February when they published a really explosive report on the sexual abuse of nuns by priests, and which include allegations of priests raping nuns and then ha- forcing them to get abortions. Mm-hmm. So really terrible stuff, but important stories for the church to tell. And especially from an all-women editorial board, that's right. essential, right? Yeah, and and in that report actually prompted Pope Francis to acknowledge for the first time that this is, in fact, a problem in the church. Um, so losing their voices, it, I personally 
see it as a huge loss for the church. Same, same. Because I think, I don't know of any other publication that's doing the kind of work that they're doing with only women. Um, And it's also making me think a lot about what it must be like to be a woman working at the Vatican. What's our last story, Zach? So our last story comes from New Mexico, where Archbishop John Wester is calling for Catholics to stop worshiping La Santa Muerte, Our Lady of Holy Death, which is a female deity or saint in the Mexi- in Mexican folk Catholicism used to venerate death. Yeah, and so this is something that's regularly denounced by Mexican bishops because it is often associated with drug cartels or traffickers who pray to Santa Muerte um, for the success of their operations, which often involve hurting vulnerable people. Um, But this is one of the few times that an American bishop has come out and denounced Santa Muerte in this strong way. Um, How did you how did you take the news, Olga? Um, I found this really interesting. Um, like you mentioned, the the bishop came out and denounced this pretty strongly, saying that a focus on death is really wrong and goes against church teachings. Quote, our devotion is to the God of life. Um, I found this interesting because, one, I think he's right. I think this is something the Vatican came out in 2013 um, and renounced this as well. Um, but it's always interesting for me to see that the ways that certain traditions or practices are played out in Latin America and when they kind of make their way into the United States, I feel that a lot of people don't understand the ways that Catholicism is lived out in Latin America. So I always find these really kind of fascinating or and I do, to be perfectly blunt, I do often get a little upset also because I'm like, I see this in the Dominican Republic where like Catholics, the Catholic faith is mixed with voodoo and it's not necessarily aligned with how we practice it out in America, but it's still something that's very significant to people on the island. And I feel like this is something the church has is dealing with all over the world and has dealt with, you know, since the beginning of time is, you know, how to incorporate, um, especially a church that attempts to be global and universal at the same time, how to incorporate local culture into one cohesive religion. I don't know. I ran into this when I was studying in China a little bit. There were, there's a lot of controversy in the Mm -hmm. Chinese church history about whether um, ancestor worship was worship or honoring your ancestors. And that still is getting parsed out, I think, today, and the effects of that are still felt. So what do you, what do you guys think? Do you think that American bishops like Wester, sh- should they be commenting on Latin American practices? Well, I think so. I think, like you guys said, like the church is very good at absorbing cultures, um, and it's a global church. And so those practices move with people. And so my guess is now that Bishop John Wester has people in his flock um, who maybe immigrated from Mexico who have brought those customs with them. So it's just as much as a problem in New Mexico as it is in Mexico to worship death. Like there are some things that Catholicism can absorb and it enriches us, but there there are certain lines where we just have to say that, no, this is antithetical to our faith. And they need to be happening in context. Joining us in studio today are Matias Benitez and Matt Chen, who are juniors at Regis High School in New York City and the founders of the feminist club He for She. Welcome to Jesuitical, you guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's really fun already. Are you guys excited that you don't have to have morning classes and get to chill with us instead? Of course. Definitely a great way to start the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool. So you guys launched the feminist club at Regis He for She in February of 2018. Why did you guys decide to do that? Oh, so it kind of started as a joke, actually. 
in that I was saying, like, what would it, would it be like if all the Catholic boys' schools had a feminist club? And we were just chatting, like, oh, that would be pretty funny. But as we continued talking about, like, what could it do? I mean, it would increase the amount of times that people talk about this topic, about feminism. And that's when we started to realize that, like, wait, this could actually be a thing. And then I texted Matt and I texted another friend um, about whether or not they would like to join me in starting this. And the other friend said, lol. And then Matt said, that sounds like a great idea. So, of course, I had to ask Matt. Um, why Matt did, why did you think it was a great idea, Matt? Well, you know, at Regis, there is clearly people that are going to go on and be leaders in whichever career they choose. And so it's really important to me that they've at least been exposed to feminism and, you know, the inequalities that women face today. So do you guys have, have you guys arrived at a definition of feminism since you started uh, the club? If how, how would you guys define feminism now? One that we really like is by Bell Hooks. Is, I don't know if you know her. She was like really big in the latter half of the 20th century. And I actually have it right here. And it's, yeah, I'm prepared. Um, <laughs> a feminism is a movement to end sexism, sexist exploitation and oppression. And we really like that one because it doesn't really include gendered language. So it pushes the notion that feminism is for men, boys, women and girls. And then obviously non-binary people also. And and so I think that that is like, it's, you know, obviously we the dictionary says it well too, you know, the movement for the equality of the sexes in political, social, economic. But then like, we like the bell hooks version. Oh yeah. Like there's this conception, I think, with feminism that it's a zero sum game. As in like, got, I mean, people in our school, if they're, kind of had no idea what feminism is. They think that by improving the situation of women, you'd lower the situation of men to equal that. And they kind of get scared that they're going to lose their status in society or something like that. But once we chat to them about what real feminism is about and how it's not a zero-sum game, it's like improving the situation for both sexes and the fact that there are studies that prove that, that's when they both consider themselves feminist or maybe they won't want to use the term feminist because feminism as a word is kind of loaded for people today, but they believe in what it means. So what typically happens in a meeting? Okay, so we meet Thursday afternoons. Uh, We usually get like five to seven people, I'd say. And um, like our most basic format is send out an article about an issue that's happening right now, you know, in the world, in America. And then we'll say like, okay, uh, read these articles, that'd be great. And then we'll discuss it, you know, see see what everybody thinks, get different viewpoints. And I mean, it's really just to like spread awareness of all the different issues that come up. So what are some of the issues? And are there any that are super difficult to talk about? We've talked about stuff like toxic masculinity, um, pregnancy discrimination, um, ageism and the intersection with feminism. Um that's just off the top of my head. We, we're currently talking about like the differences between single sex and co-ed environments because some people think that we just become co-ed. Some people believe that it should stay single sex and we want to in- explore that question at least. Also, another one that was like obviously very big was um, the Kavanaugh hearings. And, you know, that had a lot of relevance to us as a, another Jesuit institution because, you know, we went to Georgetown Prep. So that was 
you know, it was it was a shame. And but we had, we discussed that a lot. Yeah. What what were those conversations about? Because yeah, during the Kavanaugh hearings, there was a lot of talk about um, how boys at elite private schools um, have treated women in the past. Um, were you were you surprised by those descriptions? Um, did they did they map onto your own experience in any ways? I mean, not really at all, actually. And I don't know. I think that's because it's not the 80s anymore. And also, Regis is a, sounds a lot different from, you know, Georgetown Prep, or back in the day, at least. So, I mean, I haven't, like, been to a lot of parties with a lot of other Regis guys because I commute from New Jersey. But I don't think that, like, there's been anything so electric like that that would just, like, strike you when you heard that. And actually something that we did in light of the Kavanaugh hearings is we invited some girls from another from an all-girls school to come talk with us and they said while they wouldn't be surprised if it happened today they didn't have like their own experiences to share so I think that speaks to that like answers the question a bit. Was there any pushback from other students when you started the club or were did you find people generally supportive and interested? I think the main concern of people at least was the fact that they thought how can you have a feminist club without girls being there except for our moderator um so we Who's kind your moderator our moderator is miss brody she's an english teacher at regis who started when we were freshmen and we had her freshman english so we got to know her and the fact that she's very much like she she really like pushed feminism in the English classroom and that really like inspired us so we of course had to ask her and then and by pushing feminism in the classroom like in the short stories that she would have us read a lot of them were by female authors and you know that's a rarity in a, in the curriculum sometimes to actually read female authors but you, so you said that some people were hesitant about having a feminist club without the members um mm-hmm. being being girls or women um how did you address that concern and and what um, is it what is it like to have an all boys feminist club? I think that from the start we knew that we wanted to have girls in the conversation. So we of course we reached out to the another the all, all girls Catholic I mean all girls school near us and we reached out to another one and we're thinking of like reaching to more as we go on. But when we have our afternoon weekly meetings, we kind of just go from our own experience more than from like a woman's pers- experience. So when we discuss stuff like toxic masculinity, I think that if a girl's school was talking about that, I mean like in their equivalent feminist club, it would be like they would ha- not have the first-hand experience. And when we discuss stuff like pregnancy discrimination, we don't have that first-hand experience with um, going through that or knowing that we may go through that in the future. So it's kind of like, I mean, we have to just approach it with open-mindedness, um, I don't want to say caution, but it's kind of like you have to be you have to be thoughtful about yeah. the other experience. It's kind of like you're forced to think outside of yourself when you go to the club meetings. So you guys mentioned earlier that one of the misconceptions that you've encountered from other students is that they think feminism somehow kind of undermines men. Um, are there any misconceptions you've encountered and have had to address in your weekly meetings at he for she? I mean, rarely at the at our actual meetings because Mm -hmm. like it's a very self-selecting group obviously because you're not required to go and so I would say the people that usually show up like have a good handle on you know why they're there and also about feminism but 
Matthias, do you, I mean, oh. I'm not thinking. When we do have our like larger meetings, which we do in conjunction with another club, Diversity Club, which runs these things called Cafe Conversations, where they have lunchtime conversations with pizza. Cafe and stands for Cultural <laughs> Awareness for Everyone. They asked us to kind of put that in. Hmm, um, cool. But um, when we have those conversations with people who are coming just maybe in part because of the free pizza, that's when we get people who don't really like who don't really share the same opinion. Pizza is self-selecting in a different way, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, and motivating. I think food it, as a motive. It gets a lot of people excited, not just a small group. So when you're drawing in a larger audience that's maybe coming just for the pizza, what what are some of the tough conversations that happen there? When we do that, we normally talk about things within Regis where it's more about Regians's, so that's Regis students's own experience so we've talked about stuff like the treatment of teachers of the other gender as opposed to teachers who are male we kind of really just put out this question like is there a difference in how teachers are treated based on their gender and a lot of times we get people who just say no like outright no and then we get people who are very much yes and it's kind of like you have to see both sides because i mean our school is very diverse in like thought because we have people, we may, we're in New York, we have people commuting from the suburbs, so a lot of different opinions. So do you guys see your feminism as connected to your Catholic identity or the Jesuit values that you're learning at Regis? Um, for sure. So when we were proposing the club to the administration, one of the questions was, are there specific ways in which the pursuit of these goals and purposes would advance the overall educational mission of the school? And so how we answered that is we related it to the Catholic social teachings. And so we highlighted two of them and one of them was solidarity. And so we said like, as Catholic men, we have like, it's like, it's an imperative given by the church for us to like stand in solidarity with women and, you know, think about the issues that they face every day and consider those. You know, what gets overlooked often is that the core part of the Jesuit education is you know, showing a proficiency in these areas and also, and so that by the time that you graduate, you can go out into college and then into the wider world and be a man for others and, or a woman for others. So I went to a Jesuit, I've gone to a Jesuit school since third grade, actually really crazy. Like, um, so, um, I've always liked how Jesuit schools very much emphasize reflection. Like that's something that's not as emphasized in other schools. Like, sure, they might um, emphasize community service or, like, in other Catholic schools, religious, like, being religious. But the idea of, like, reflecting on your past experiences with, like, the examine to an extent that some people might not like. Like, I really love doing reflection exercises. I find, I find them really fun. It keep, makes you think about everything you do and whether that was for the greater glory of God, as they say. Mayorum de gloriam. That's really cool. Um, how has how has being in this club um, changed the kind of person you want to be um, right now and after you graduate? Um, when it comes to how you how you treat and see women. So before the club started, I wasn't really the type who would share, um, talk a lot about like my personal views on things. Like I always was, I always had this impression that you know you don't want to like make anyone not like you, not. Um, you want to please everyone. So 
I mean, sure, people might not like me for my personality, but they might not. I don't want them to not like me because I've said something about something and they might get offended or something like that. But now I think going on that idea of com- being committed to doing justice, it's like I'm more willing to stand up for myself, stand up for other people and like my beliefs. Like, sure, there are times when it's really hard because it's like peer pressure. You don't want to call out someone for making a joke because they might think that, oh, you're being a bit too uptight. But I I think that it's something that I've tried to deal with that I'm still reflecting on following Jesuit um, ideals and hoping to improve as I go on in the future. Thank you guys so much for this conversation. I think it's super encouraging to see young male teenagers talking about these things and starting these initiatives. So thank you. Um, One final question for you. If you guys could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or not, who would it be and why? You each get to answer. Um, Well, so I was listening to the podcast earlier this week and I told Matt, we have to prepare a question. (laughs) I mean, prepare an answer for this. And, um, well, well, I mean, Matt, you can go first. Okay. Um, so I think I would do Ruth Bader Ginsburg because she's just such an inspiration to me and I think to women everywhere. Um, you know, there's been a lot of documentaries that have come up, come out about her recently. And so I was watching the CNN one and it was just like, her story is amazing. Like she, how she was at Harvard Law School, like as a mother and then also like, helping out her husband who was sick and like still, you know, being the best in the class. And then her ascension into the Supreme Court where she's reversed so many of the laws that discriminated against women. And I think it's just like, she's so cool. Like she's my idol. If you hear this, let <laughs> me know. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, so the first person I thought of was the foundress of Regis, the anonymous benefactor who we, Do now- we know. We know she's a woman. Yeah. Um, so we now know that um, it was she was the mayor's wife of New York, Julia M. Grant, Mrs. Grant. Um, and it was really like I couldn't really think of anyone else that like sh- like as I went on in my week and her. So she gave a, like a, so much money to, um, to the Jesuits to start this school. And like I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't know Matt. We wouldn't be here in the studio now if it wasn't for her. And she's done that for so many thousands of young boys. Um, Yeah, like way back when Catholics were much poorer and were in the slums of New York um, in like the early 1900s. And now is, well, some Catholics have risen up in the ranks, but we still have like a lot of students who wouldn't be able to like afford a Catholic, like a really good education that's Jesuit. And she's really, like, her donation's really inspiring. That's great. Awesome. All right, so Saints Ginsburg and Grant. Yeah. Pray for us. (laughs) us. You guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Yeah, thanks for coming in. I know. Uh, Back to school now. All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. 
As we mentioned last week, we are having a live event at our office here in New York to celebrate the 100th episode of Jesuitical. So if you're in New York, you can buy tickets. We're going to share the events, uh, the event bright page in the show notes. Um, but if you want to come for free, you can become a Patreon supporter, and we're going to be selecting one lucky supporter to get free tickets to the show. I can't believe we're 100 episodes old. I know. I know. Super excited to celebrate mm-hmm. with everyone. We're getting uh, a lot of people are going to be there, former guests, uh, mm-hmm. friends of the show. Um, we're going, we're at, we are actually getting interviewed. Yes, I'm very yep. nervous about this. Yes, <laughs> yeah, so, so am I. It, we're going to be on the other side of yeah. this. Yes, by, we're getting interviewed by our friend and former guest, Kirsten Powers of CNN. Uh, and Father James Martin will be introducing us. Mm-hmm. So should be a great evening. We would love to see you there. And another milestone, we just crossed 2,000 members on our Facebook page. Whoa. Yep. So it's Great conversation going on Mm -hmm. over there. If you're not there yet, why not? You're Mm -hmm. checking Facebook all the time anyway. (laughs) Why not check in with Jesuitical listeners while you're there? Yeah. And it's also a really great community to be a part of. We love our listeners and our members there. So join if you haven't already. Yeah. It's really easy. Facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. All right, now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? I've got a consolation this week. So this past weekend, we had an event at America, and it was my first event with everyone at America in a while. Um, so that that was just wonderful. Um, but also just, it was a great opportunity. Like Ashley, Zach, and I, we were all listening to people talk to us about how great Jesuitical um, is and the work that we do and aside from what it does to my ego um, it is it's, it's a really constant reminder I Zach talked about this a few episodes ago where it's like it's so easy to forget that the work that we're doing is a ministry um, and to just hear people and the way that they engage with it it's just a really good reminder to know that this is a two-way relationship where we're giving something to our listeners but they're also giving a lot back to us so that was my consolation this week yeah that was a great party what do you have Zach I also have a consolation, uh, and it's related to my desolation from last week. Uh, Reminder that I was very anxious about going to confession. It had been far too long. Uh, And I did go. I went last week. Uh, I went to our penance service with um, a few of the men's groups at our parish. And, you know, I was sort of expecting... I don't know what I was expecting, but I was feeling anxiety and nerves. And instead, what I was met with was community and mercy and love. And I just, I've, you know, gone through this whole experience of get nervous for confession, like feel really great about going after I'm done like a hundred times. And so, you know, listeners, this is episode 98 uh, at the end. So next time I'm nervous, I'm going to just, you know, replay this back to me as a reminder that, you know, God is in fact there and he is always ready to love us. And that was the consolation this week. I needed that reminder as well. Well, you can listen to it as well. Uh, yeah, I'll what make you... it before. I'll make it before Easter. Now I've said it on air, so yeah. I have to. Yep. Wow. Bold. <laughs> what do you have, Ashley? Uh, I also have a consolation. Uh, so I'm currently training for a half marathon, uh, which was, is kind of a big deal for me. I haven't done something in a while that like really challenges me and that like I could actually fail at like I'm pretty good at setting myself up for success by only (laughs) reaching so high um and so now I'm in the middle of it and I'm realizing that I am actually capable of running um 10 miles which is I just never thought I would be able to do that um and it's been really hard and it's taken a lot of discipline um and I was talking to uh, Father Sundrip about like where yeah 
obviously where the constellation is. And and I was like, well, it's in the, it's in the change, like that I've I've like felt physically different. Um, and he's like, so why is change consoling? And I'm like, I don't know. Usually it's not. I'm usually horrified of change. And he's like, okay. So what does that mean? I was like, well, I guess I hate change because I don't know what's going to be on the other side. And and now I'm realizing that as I'm in the process of change, that it, it's it's good and I'm growing and God is there and God was there in the beginning and he'll be there at the end, whether or not I finish the race. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's just been a good it's been a good learning process. I like that. Yeah. I will not be running 10 miles. <laughs> you just, will also I, be at I'm the end. going to say that on air. <laughs> You'll be at the end to greet me for, for brunch, <laughs> That's right? right. Yes, of course. <laughs> All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by me. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Engineering by Kieran Freeman. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to money. And you can send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.